So there, there are times in your career when you get exposed to people and you get to meet people that are like on the list of folks you want to meet. And, and I was very fortunate many years ago now uh, when uh, Chief was the chairman, he had taken over um, the chairmanship of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation um, and I just walked up and introduced myself. And, and this is one of the most down to earth guys that I've ever met. Uh, and that's Chief Dennis Compton, retired Chief Dennis Compton. Um, as you saw in the, the ad that uh, Jamie put together, there's too many organizations uh, at the national level that Chief has not either been involved in or chaired. Um, and he is, has been honored and inducted into just numerous, uh, numerous uh, things. I can't even describe them. I'm so excited. So uh, we're real excited to have him here. Uh, but but we want to start before we get off track. Is uh, this tonight's show is dedicated to the 20th anniversary of the 9/11 memorial, a uh, 9/11, uh, not necessarily the more 9/11. Um, and I want to thank Jamie for putting together the backdrop for me today. Uh, I, I, I've heard it 10 times on the, on the TV over the last couple of days is everybody remembers where they were in 9-11 when, when the first plane hit, or at least the second plane. And in my case, I was in my office doing my thing and the, the guys came in and said, Chief, you got to come see this. And uh, and in, in my case, I immediately reverted to the B-29 that struck or 20, whatever that struck the uh, Empire State Building. And I said, don't worry, they'll get it. Uh, they have the resources, uh, having lived through the, the last bombing. And uh, but it was that soon thereafter, the second plane hit. And then obviously the whole world realized that this was, this was not an accident. So what I'd like to do is just take a minute, uh, if we could, and just think of those folks, uh, not only the 343 firefighters that um, we lost, but the, all the public safety group. And, and every day, every day, someone from that area, whether a responder, an electrician, a maintenance worker, or just the public, Every day, someone loses their battle with one of the 9-11 cancers. And some of these folks have six, seven different kinds of 9-11 cancers, and they, they managed to survive for a little while. And we just want to remember those folks. All right, thank you. Uh, what I'd like to do is, uh, for those that don't know, uh, uh, so Chief Compton was actually originally in Phoenix um, and was uh, in the, up in the command levels and, and stature in Phoenix, but he was also already nationally uh, involved in a lot of different things. So uh, what I wanna do is we're gonna, we're gonna talk a little about a bit, it's okay, it'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit about Oklahoma City first, um, because uh, you know when when that first happened, 
uh, I was extremely upset. I was involved in the rescue training for the State Fire Academy. Um, in fact, it was probably the State Fire School back then. And I was just irritated and upset that we had people that had skill sets and we just were not at all ready for prepared to go help them, never mind take care of anybody ourselves. Uh, so, so Chief, I want to, uh, let's, let's talk about Oklahoma City. Um, and let's start with, you know, how did that, how did that roll out for you and, and for the Phoenix Fire Department? Well, thank you. And, and thank you again for having me here. I appreciate it very much. It's very kind of you. Uh, you know, that started out on the morning of the 19th there, on April 19th, and we, I was at, Bruno and I, Chief Brunacini and I were at breakfast with uh, Councilman Nelson from the City Council there in Phoenix, and uh, he, he was also the chair of the Public Safety Committee, and so we were at breakfast talking about several things, and so we, uh, we left there, and I was on my way back, and so was he in separate cars, and uh, and, all the, and I found out what had happened in Oklahoma City. Uh, we, we had a, a, an urban search and rescue team that we were activated for uh, the Northridge earthquake. And, uh, and I was the commander of that team. So we, uh, uh, we had actually gone shopping the day we were activated uh, because we weren't, we, we weren't authorized any equipment until you were activated back then. So, so we, we spent about two days shopping and then and then we transported ourselves and our equipment over to California. Uh, and when that was all over with, uh, you know, we warehoused everything. So uh, so we had we were fully equipped. And uh, and and so when when I heard what had happened in Oklahoma City and then got to see some visuals of it, uh, I had the, the team. Uh, put on standby and began bringing them in uh, and had our equipment begin to be loaded for transport uh, to the military facility. So that, that was already started uh, and we were not activated yet. We were activated later that morning, uh, but we already had things going. Uh, once we were activated, uh, you know, we put a couple extra members, about three extra members of our team. We added them, but they weren't part of a typical USAR team, we added our chaplain, a uh, guy named Carl Carlosi, a priest, Episcopalian priest who has passed away since then. And we added two detectives from the police department who were bomb experts. Because, you know, at the time, we, no one really knew what was going on there. Uh, so off we, off everybody went. Now, myself and two other people uh, flew commercial to go ahead and get there and get there as quickly as possible while everything else was being loaded uh, out at Luke Air Force Base, and they were getting ready to transport the team to uh, Oklahoma City. So we got there, uh, got to the scene. One, one thing that it was very fortunate in Oklahoma, and you know, it ends up being fortunate everywhere, not just in Oklahoma, not just at major incidents, but the relationships that you build <laughs> throughout your career, uh, take every opportunity you get to build them, nurture them, and cherish them. Because I, I spent a lot of time in Oklahoma Fire Service. I spoke at their conferences fairly frequently. I was involved with IFSTA uh, out of Oklahoma State University forever. And, uh, and so I knew a lot of those chiefs there and some of the others as well. So when we got there that evening, we were the first USAR team on the scene. Uh, and it was a little after 5.30 in the afternoon their time. 
Uh, and we went directly to the station, uh, met up with uh, Chief Mars and, and, uh, and Chief Hansen, and off we went to the scene. Uh, so that gave us a bit of a chance to get an overview of what we had there uh, and begin to begin talking and, and like and like you say, building that relationship even stronger, you know, because I can tell you back then, no one even knew what a USAR team was. Right. Uh, exactly. uh, I don't think they'd ever been used outside the state of California uh, as a FEMA USAR team. No, I, matter of fact, I, I, in those teams in California still, um, and Florida, I think Florida might have been close behind, but right, California, they still have nine, ten, whatever teams. I mean, just recently, in the when the building fell down in Florida, they put all their teams through, all working however many days, um, and that's how come once they got that teetering piece out of the way, then they went to town. The work they did in that short period of time was amazing, but again, they had the resources, and they did pull some other. They pulled some other stuff from the from the outside. So again, just to re, to review that. So so from a leadership perspective, you you got together with the on-site leaders before the rest of the cavalry came. Exactly. And, and then by using by using your experience from California. And, and then their general knowledge and understanding of command and control, you were able to insert the, the plug in the USAR component into the ICS system. In a way that uh, uh, that's functional because the, the, the next group that I met with was our own before we ever deployed to the scene. I went to where we were housed, which was the telephone company uh, right down the street from the Murrah building. And, uh, and we had a meeting and, and we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things we talked about was etiquette, that, that we were visitors and that the people in charge of this incident, as far as I'm concerned, is the Oklahoma City Fire Department until someone tells me otherwise. So we need to remember that, we need to act accordingly and we need to work together with those people hand and glove together. Uh, and so that's the way we went about our business. Uh, uh, some other teams, there were four teams there uh, after two or three days, uh, there, were, there were two from California and then New York came in uh, and we worked, uh, Phoenix and New York actually worked the same 12 hour shifts together. So Ray Downey and I became very, very good friends there. And uh, because we worked the same shift every day when we, when we worked, our teams did. So, uh, so a lot of this, because you come trained and you come equipped, but man, you can cause a lot of trouble when you come with an attitude. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and, and I've been to a lot of major events and so have a lot of other people in your careers, both at home and on the road. And, uh, and when someone walks in there, pops of three buttons off the top of their shirt and bloats up like a toad and starts talking about who's in charge. Uh, you're, I'll see your idiot and raise you an imbecile <laughs> at that point because yep. there are going to be problems right there. And it's got nothing to do with what you're there to do. It's, it's egos and it's power. And uh, so 
we need to get past all that. And Oklahoma City was a great example. You know, uh, Gary Mars, fire chief in Oklahoma City, and I are still good friends. We were before. Uh, John Hansen's passed away, but he and I were great friends, and so were the others there. You know, so uh, I, so, I, I would, so so I would say that as the beginning. That's that's the start that, kicking. Off. That's the jumping off point. And that's so important. It's it's you you. The last thing you want, and, and, and you know, some of the results, and I'm going to start dropping some acronyms here. As a result of Oklahoma City, we came out with some of the decisions made by President Clinton about the FBI being in charge. I've had some great, great, great FBI agents I've worked with. Bosses, tremendous. I've had a couple guys that showed up and with all their, their, their numbers on the letters on the back of their jackets, and they said, where the FBI were here, to, this is our scene. And it's like, dude, you just, you literally just walk in the door. Now, again, that way they were not the, they were not the common, they were the abnormal, but you're right. Everything, the, the whole boat starts doing this because now everybody's starting to get their, their hair up. Yeah. Uh, but what, I, I've obviously not been to nearly as many things or as, as big, but one of the, whether it was our incident management team or the USAR team or whatever, when we walked in, our first thing is, is, what do you what do you need right now? What do you need from us? What can we do for you? Because that's why they called. They don't want someone to come in and start bossing them around. They want come, someone to come in and so they can lean on your shoulder and say, how am I doing so far? Is this, does this look okay to you or or whatever it may be? My, my, my first meeting with, um, my first time meeting, uh, Ray Downey was uh, my, uh, my mentor, Danny Keogh, and I were at FDIC, and we were hanging, trying to hang out with, <laughs> to keep up with Tommy Brennan, and uh, and Tom, and and Ray had taught at the FDIC, and he he introduced what a down to earth, all those SOC guys, all the all the all those high tech guys are just the calm, they're just the most you know nicest guys, uh, they're not pushy, uh, particularly when they're dealing with people they don't know. When they're inside the firehouse or inside their their system they may be a little a little busty you know but he was just a great he was just a, a great guy and he predicted he told his he told the bosses because it's on tape these these may come down in new york right and of course that, that was like beyond anyone's anyone's imagination uh let's so let's go with oklahoma for a little bit more tell me some of the uh, biggest challenges from a leadership perspective or biggest, I know they couldn't, I know the obvious one is they had to cover a large segment and bring the building down because it was just un, it was just too unsafe to get in there to, to search that area. But what were some of the other challenges that you ran into in, uh, or that anyone would run into in, in, a, in a, a operation that big? Well, there are all kinds of challenges. As you can imagine surveying that scene and getting your people deployed. Uh, one of the biggest ones was I had to offer one of the USAR teams there a free ride home if they didn't start behaving themselves. Uh, really? and, uh, and they did start behaving themselves. Uh, Chief Mars asked me uh, if, if we would manage all the out-of-town resources. So anybody who is self-deployed or deployed from anywhere came through us to, to get into the scene. Uh, and that was a bit of a challenge because uh, a lot of people came that were self-dispatched, yep. a lot. And, uh, and so we, uh, 
we were able to use some of them in in, in certain jobs, but not at, not not in that uh, uh, hot zone, but in support jobs. But most of them we did not need and could not use. Uh, but but uh, but but it was wonderful that they cared enough to come. You know that they had to be managed. Right. Uh, also, the the building itself. I don't know if you remember that, but like for two days it looked like nothing changed. There was a feed camera that was being provided to all the TV outlets. And that, that almost looked like nothing was changing for two days. But what was going on, and it was again, one of the more challenging things was the building wasn't stable. Right. The building was very unstable. Matter of fact, if you got off to the side of it uh, and it was windy and it was, it was windy and raining like crazy the first and second nights there, you could see the building move and shift. Oh uh, so that had to be taken care of. And we got in partnership with the, with the private sector and stabilized that building so that that would not happen any longer. Uh, we also had a lot of debris coming out of the building and the, and, and, it, and the pile itself, the, the pile from the collapse was right underneath that. So we, we could not put our people on that pile uh, with all the debris hanging off the edges of those floors. Uh, and even some of the slabs and stuff that were still hanging there. So the other thing that we had to figure out was what to do with all of that. So we got crews on those upper floors uh, as soon as it was safe. And we moved all of the, everything that was on the exterior of those floors clear back up against the walls. And we, and then, and we also began stabilizing with the help of the private sector, uh, some of that concrete and other hazards. Uh, we even put a diaper on the on the largest piece of concrete that was at the top of that right, right. structure. And when the guy first came up with that idea, I remember several of us kind of looked at him like he was crazy, but, uh, but it made sense and they built it and we installed it and, uh, and it held that thing up the whole time. Uh, so we went to work on the pile. And I would say another challenge was was not finding anybody alive. Mm. I mean, you search and you search and you search and you search and you don't find anybody. This is the dogs that are helping you are getting depressed, you know? The, the, uh, so you gotta deal with that. Uh, the very first couple of days that we were there, the people in Oklahoma, by the way, are wonderful, wonderful people. And, I, and, and, and that, you talk about rallying behind each other, but they brought us, all oh, so much food it was just unbelievable and they put it out in tables uh and uh and that was great until the food started getting stale and uh and so we ended up with a uh with a real problem with food poisoning our chaplain was down for two days with it and really and other team members on all the teams were so we got rid of all the donated food all of it you know, it didn't matter whether it was pizza or sandwiches or what, it was gone. And then we provided the food and we managed it. Uh, right. So, so, you know, it's hard to do your job there when you've got sick people. So, so we did, we took care of that. And then it was just painstaking, you know, uh, turning people away that came to help was difficult. Uh, the families, God, the families that would come to the command post uh, area. Uh, because we built a village. We really built what, what I used to call, if you ever attended our seminars years and years ago, I called it a command village. 
Yep. And we long before NIMS ever came along, that's what we called it. And we built the village uh, there. And uh, and they would come there. And of course, they're, 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 they have people under that rubble. They, they, they're, 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 they're scared, they're mourning, they're tired. And, and you can't just turn them away. You gotta talk to them, you gotta listen to them, you gotta give them information. And one of the saddest things was that some of them brought psychics with them. God. Psychics that were telling them that their loved one was alive and telling them where that loved one was at in that building. And then the expectation that you're gonna go where the but psychic tells them. The expectation that we're gonna go. And so working our way through all that was, uh, it, it wasn't difficult. It was, uh, it was uh, painstaking. It, it was a very emotional because you, you know, you've, you needed to provide service to those survivors, those people who were there. Right. And, uh, and back then we probably weren't, I mean, you had brought the chaplain, but back then we weren't as tied into that, that whole concept. Mm -hmm. um, as we are now. I mean, now when we have a plane go down or a train wreck or whatever, there's a whole, there's a whole branch that's coming in from private sector or from the hospitals or whatever, just to, to do all that. Back then, it was all about get them, get them out, get them out of the pile. I had heard, I had did a, maybe it was your, I went to some presentation and they actually had the drawing of the, of the control points and the barriers. And uh, the one that impressed me was the furthest one out, and I can't remember how many blocks it was, was like the Texas Rangers and their horses, because they were used to sleeping outside under the stars, right? But there was all these lines you had to get to because of that. You can't have civilians, you, you just can't have civilians walking into your command post. Never mind everybody else that thinks they ought to be there. You got to have that, get that control. And then, and then you take them in little doses or you, you, delegate someone to handle like like the air, airplane people do now right they have a whole a whole group and all they do is take care of the survivors or the families of the folks on the plane and get them what they need do they need a hotel do they need food do they need you know whatever it may be while we're waiting whether it's an active shooter or plane crash or bombing or whatever again uh, and we've we've had to do that where we've had to take people and say no not right now you need to go go over here and then fortunately i think the police inherited a lot of those because they were they had the time for lack of a better term compared to the emergency the fire and ems and all that going on with once they place got the place locked down if it wasn't an active shooter they had the people that could take them over and find out you know what they what they needed yeah man, but we had we had talked about the the pizza um uh, to the point where in the next uh, well, the next event we'll talk about it at the uh, at the Pentagon they wouldn't take any they wouldn't take any but we stopped taking food uh, unless we paid for it and we knew where it came from and even then it was on the clock if you know we bought whatever it was because we had open contracts uh, with small restaurants for large fires or events if we ordered it, we'd take it. If it showed up, not unless we had a real good handle on where it came from. Because uh, again, people are not trying to hurt you. They're just, they're in a hurry, well, whatever it may be. The, um, Other than the World Trade Center uh, in the, uh, I think 92 or 93. 93. 
93. Uh, other than that, for the most part, this was the, the first experience with terrorism uh, in our country. Large scale. For most, for most of the United States. So, and certainly for the fire service, because the World Trade Center in 93, uh, New York City handled that. They, they had the resources, they handled that. But this one here was different, is Oklahoma City did not have the resources. Uh, and that was a very complex situation. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we learned a lot there. We learned, uh, we, we, we learned a lot that has been used since at that incident. And, and even, even security, you brought that up, is that we credentialed people finally. Yes. Once we got the place uh, uh, protected, we credentialed people, but then people started uh, counterfeiting those credentials. Uh, so we had to have holograms and all kinds of things done to those credentials to keep oh my God. doing that. Uh, but the FBI came in and did that for us. Uh, they set up a, a facility a few blocks away and they, they took care of all the credentialing. Uh, it was all in all a really good operation. It was challenging. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the, 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 the way we were able to put Oklahoma City Fire Department members together with our USAR teams uh, and, and bring, bring the operation together uh, was really beneficial to everybody. Oklahoma City learned a lot. You know, I think we learned a lot. I think those other USAR teams learned a lot. Uh, and, then you, and then you shared it. That one of the things that I've always been impressed with with Phoenix, and even right down to when, uh, when you lost Brett, you, you, whatever you find out, you, you're going to share. You, they, they, the, Bruno was very good. You guys were very good about that. Listen, it's the worst day of our lives, but we don't want you to have the same thing happen here. Uh, I want to move on. We're going to move on to... Uh, to the Pentagon in a second. But one of the other things I thought was interesting is uh, if you had a if you had a badge, if in your if in your job description you can make arrests and take statements, they ended up, I mean, they took postal inspectors, border patrol guys, they they had this huge law enforcement attachment attachment that ended up working with all the different teams, right? Because you could find evidence. You could find the one thing that could bring this whole this whole thing together. So my understanding was, if again, you might have a, be a treasury agent, but you know how to take statements, you know what evidence is, and you can make arrests. They would put them with each one of those squads just for that for that contingency. Again, use of whatever you get. It, again, getting together unified. This is the deal. I don't care who you are, where you came from. We're all working for the same. We're on the same boat. We're heading down the same river together. We got to get this done. What do we need to do to, to figure that out? Well, and that so, command structure in Oklahoma City was built over time, right? Uh, you know, and, and it and it ended up being very effective. It was effective at the beginning too, but it ended up uh, it ended up you know looking like an ice an ICS chart because uh, you know NEMS wasn't around yet. No, but that well, the two I. The two-eyed, what I call the two-eyed NIMS, was around, but it wasn't used by the fire service. We were just, 
it, well, and you guys are part of that. We were just baby steps there of trying to get any ICS going. I don't even know if the back then I don't even know if the fire National Fire Academy had the 100, the old 100 or 200 or ICS going yet. I think back then it was you guys on the road. Well, you, I was going to ask you that. Uh, Bruno came out here for as a fundraiser for our public education folks a long time ago in the 80s. Did you come, were you hit with him and Carl? I mean, Bruce on those? Did you do those with him? You know, I didn't do a whole lot. I did a lot with him. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't travel with him and Bruce very often. Yeah. He, was, I did a lot of stuff on my own. And then Bruno yeah. and I would do things together. It was, uh, it, well, it was Bruce, Bruno and a tall guy with black hair. So I figured it was you. <laughs> so I, no. <laughs> let's go to, um, so let's, let's take a, uh, unless anybody from the audience wants to send me a note with a question or pipe hey, up with a question. Hey, Nick? Yes. Hi, Joe Deneo. Hey, Joe. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, hi, Chief Compton. Joe, um, how are you? I'm wonderful, sir. Wonderful. Good to hear your voice. I, I just, when when I'm involved in, uh, I'll make a lot of comments, um, but they, they come from a, uh, a pretty extensive background. And you know, I'm, I'm sure if you have something to to highlight in these four areas, um, definitely feel free because I'll just touch upon them. But when it comes to Oklahoma City, there's uh, four unique things that come out of that, and then um, I'll save the most touching for last because I'm not sure I, I did join five minutes late and I could have missed it. Um, so the first is uh, ammonia nitrate. So not only out of Oklahoma City did we come about the legislation of having to track the purchases of ammonia nitrate, but it also gave a super awareness, especially in law enforcement, but fire should have paid should pay attention to this as well, as far as the elements on on what it takes to to make a bomb work, not make a bomb, make a bomb work. Um, so Oklahoma City illuminated that when they chased down uh, McVeigh's truck and um, you know, tied the ammonia nitrate to, to some local purchases there. The uh, second thing that affects firefighters uh, since, um, and it really started in the 1983 Beirut bombing, but that, that held the military accountable and Oklahoma City brought it home holding us accountable for building security. And um, uh, yeah, talking to camera for building security and risk assessments. So those things came out of Oklahoma City where they thought they had a building that couldn't be touched, couldn't fall down. And, and that was the end of the risk assessment. Um, that attention was not followed through entirely, especially on the fire side but government all of a sudden put barriers up and then later made them permanent. And that really came out of Oklahoma City. So that's like the second thing out of that one that was real big. The third thing which leads to the memorial is the amount of children involved. Mm. So that the memorial is very touching. So I took a couple of uh, anti-terror classes in Oklahoma City one classified, one not. And we, we at some point in each class went to that memorial and the 
touching part of it is it, it touches you as a first responder and what, you know, what Dennis dealt with and others that were there. And, and Nick, you mentioned having to deal with all, all that pressure on the teams and on PIOs and on the incident command system for one of the first times documented, did this happen in front of a lot of cameras and specifically dealt with kids because of the daycare center that was put front and center in the building. So to this day, survivors of that scene are um, entrenched in those memories, can't shake them. So the memorial is very touching and you, you see the kids come out of it. Yeah, one of my, I, and I was looking for it. Um, one of the, the photos I kept, I think it was firehouse. I don't think it's fire engineering was the, the, uh, the firefighter carrying the, the child that I, I still have it. I took yeah. it with me when I right. left. Yep. Yep. And I have the, uh, one of the few, um, for lack of a better term, venue pictures that I bequeathed to the uh, 14th civil support team here in Connecticut is the one for the Oklahoma City bombing that has that is of the memorial at night and just chilling. Did you, I'm gonna, unless you got anything else, Joe, I'm going to move on. Good, thank you. All right. Uh, so, Chief, let's go to, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about D.C., um, because again, that started, uh, the Pentagon actually started a little bit different for you. So why don't you, uh, share that with us? Well, with the Pentagon, uh, I was, uh, I spoke at, a at a, a fire safety conference in Scottsdale, Arizona on the 10th at late morning. And so I, I flew in the afternoon and, and evening to Washington, DC because I was supposed to facilitate a strategic planning meeting of a coalition of organizations called Safe USA. Okay, the irony of that title has never been lost on me, but it was Safe USA. That meeting was at nine o'clock in the morning on the 11th. So, uh, so we had gotten there to the hotel where it was at and it was at the Crystal City Marriott right across the highway, Highway 1, Route 1 from, uh, from the Pentagon. So we were in the hotel <clears throat> and when we got there, I was walking by the employee lounge and, and saw what was going on in, in New York City uh, and saw the, 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 right at the aftermath of that second plane hit it. Uh, and so I started down to, to, to the meeting room that we had reserved and it was on the third floor mezzanine of the hotel and it's a glass structure. So I was walking around the outer part of the hotel with a glass wall. And in front of me, right across Route One, was this horrible explosion. I mean, you could hear it, you could feel it. Uh, and it was that plane hitting the Pentagon. Uh, so, uh, so I got the group together that we were gonna meet with and gave some instructions on what they might wanna do. Uh, because they weren't going to travel anywhere. So, uh, so we got that done and got back to the hotel. I contacted some people I knew from Fairfax County, uh, Urban Search and Rescue. So, uh, and also the fire chief there in Alexandria. And we, uh, and, and we, Arlington rather, I'm sorry. And we, uh, 
uh, I was able to work with those guys for three shifts there. Uh, and on the, and on the, on the, on the fourth day, which was Friday, it happened on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, I went to New York city. Uh, so I worked there at the Pentagon for three days and then went to New York city. I'll tell you an interesting, uh, talk about getting along and, and, and serving and, and trying to help out. Um, so so Arlington Fire Department's this big, and DC is this big, right? So you're going to be asking for help. I had a couple of speakers at a couple of conferences, and uh, I, I got I got actually physically upset at one of them because he was all about DC and how you know they they came in and they took care of the Pentagon and Arlington was so overrun and all this other stuff. And it was, it was as a little guy in a little department surrounded by bigger departments, surrounded by bigger departments. I was really, I was really cranked because yeah, Arlington, Arlington, it was their turf though. And this, this guy's like, he, 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 he boasted about how Arlington asked, he had a whole assignment. So he's got, I don't know, he might have even had like five engines, two trucks, a rest, whatever. He's got this whole monstrous thing. And they say, listen, we need you to go do this. And uh, he decided that wasn't, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I think has to happen. So I'm going to go do this instead. And it, it, it got crazy. At one point, uh, it, was, it was really back to me that all of a sudden uh, they, they needed a, someone decided they needed a ladder inside one of the, you know, one of the courtyards so they cut the cab off of the tiller to get the to get the tiller inside but then it was relayed that no one from arlington approved that or suggested that or requested that that was just something you know dc did on their own and that that's to the opposite of what you had in, in oklahoma city where everybody's there as one team where you have this group that thinks they're better than anybody else now he could have been full of crap for all i know but he he was pretty adamant that they saved the day, uh, which I thought was pretty gutsy considering all the resources that were called in by Arlington. Um, uh, I, I, I was there pretty early in the afternoon that day, and uh, that was not what I saw going on. I saw, I saw a good, strong command post. I saw agencies coming together. I saw the Pentagon security take control of that scene. I saw an area being designed to credential people uh, with, with really nice credentials. I saw people using protective breathing equipment that we did not have later on at the World Trade Center. I saw a, a, a system going building there because you don't build those things all at once. You build them uh, incrementally as that incident progresses. But, uh, but I would say that anybody that says that Arlington and uh, and Alexandria and uh, Fairfax County uh, and Washington, D.C. didn't have that thing pretty well contained. Uh, there's an old John Wayne movie that says that's bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. <laughs> and, and I don't know what incident they were at, <laughs> but I know which incident well, you, I was at. If, and, you, if you knew that, you may know him. If you knew this guy, it, it just it didn't surprise me that and that's why I was getting upset because 
when you go to these things and you, you there are there are kids there that are sponges actually there's junior officers that are sponges and they'll believe everything they're told right and then they'll go with that and you know obviously we need to be going the other way and say no that's not how we play here uh that's not that's not that's not how it works and they didn't uh someone boasting that they saved the day i mean that's fire station talk that's that's bullshit right you know right. It's, that's not time for it you shouldn't be doing that up on the podium or, yeah. or or anywhere else you know that's a good way to get sent home yeah <laughs> right and, right and and it's the kind of thing that really gets in the way uh you know with those aren't uh those people did a, did a great job at that pentagon scene uh and i don't know who was from what city <laughs> i knew the ones i knew right uh, and i knew the fire chief in dc also and some of his command staff uh, and I didn't see that. If that's what someone described to you, I didn't see that. That's all I can say. That 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 scene came together fairly well. It was a, you know, it was a, a difficult scene to search because there was a lot of construction mm -hmm. damage, and there had to be a lot of assessment. Uh, they they had collapsed a building that was thought to be uncollapsible. Uh, it was, you know. I, I don't know if they ever really thought that the federal building wouldn't be blown up by, you know, right. explosives in Oklahoma City, but I know they didn't think the Pentagon could. Right. And no, they, they were talking about that. And I think they had actually, they were in the, someone did say somewhere in one of the multiple television reports or, or you know, National Geographic, whatever, uh, or uh, History Channel, is that they were in the process, they had re re uh re-supported some parts of the building they just hadn't got to that part yet it was just just bad luck that that's where the plane that's where the that's where the plane went in i saw some of the in in, in various cribbing classes i saw some of the cribbing that they they use there to you know hold those buildings up and just just amazing just amazing well, it was unbelievable what they did there and and and, and i cracked a rib at the pentagon uh on, on wednesday night but uh, there were three inch rebar in that building uh, <laughs> and, and it's kind of just dangling. I mean, just, you know, bent uh, every which way. Uh, that, that thing collapsed pretty good where it came down. Uh, you know, I heard a story later on that they never found the nose gear. So the whole thing was a hoax, you know. Uh, the, the, the nose gear of that aircraft, I saw standing right next to it. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That was, uh, is that, I don't remember, the, I don't remember, it's been 20 years, but I don't remember the exact number of, of areas of the Pentagon that that went through, uh, but I, I think it was about five, uh, the outer layer, the next, the next, the next, and it ended up poking a hole in the far inside into the courtyard area, just poking a hole that nose gear did, and that's where it was sitting. Jesus, just think about that energy. Yeah. So, uh, so it did a lot of damage there, and the and the whole thing was a was an operation of fire control, which they got rather quickly. Uh, they had uh, they had a lot of people uh, to be rescued there, but not that many injured. Mm. Uh, and and matter of fact, uh, they 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 you know it was an all call for ambulances and didn't need 
that many ambulances. Uh, it's not, not so many people injured, too many people killed, uh, and, and a very well-run scene. Is what and, and, and again, a, an opportunity to look at some construction details after the event that, uh, that you don't always get a chance to see. The, uh, it, it's almost opposite, like in New York, you had, you, you had all these trauma centers and all these people all jacked up, ready to take care of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of traumatic injuries. And while obviously there were injuries um, and exposures and stuff, they, that was part of the stress afterwards. Like we sent task forces of ambulances from Connecticut down there as part of the statewide mobilization or regional mobilization. And they got down there and, and you know, lined up at, at uh, staging and that's where they stayed. There was just, and again, you see all those pictures of everybody wandering around outside these world-class trauma centers, as opposed to Boston, Right where they it was it was great to have all those centers because they were able to save so many lives. Uh, whereas in in New York there was there were some people that got treated, and some people got rescued, but was, obviously there was nothing like it was what they anticipated. Let's talk about. Oh, go ahead. You don't just a, just one quick comment on that, and you know this as well as I do. Uh, that's all interesting after the fact. Uh, you have to prepare for what might be the case. Right. You have something like that going on where you cannot do a complete assessment on it in a in a in a very fast way. In other words, that it's going to take hours for you to find out the details of what kind of issues are going on inside that building. So yeah. so you have to activate. Uh, you you have to do that set of things, and if you don't. Uh, you're kind of betting on there not being a bullet in the chamber. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. Well, I, I was, I've told many times on this show that I was standing next to a battalion chief in the Bronx, and uh, I asked him why, why this engine and ladder was sitting over here and not being used. He looked at me straight in the face. He goes, ketchup is for hamburgers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm like, of course, I'm 25. I'm, I'm a junior guy. The guy that my mentor is, is the one who brought me down there. And I'm like, what? So I went over to, to my boss. I said, what the hell is he talking about? He goes, you don't want to have to catch up. If you need it, if you need help, you want it right here, right? We, and the, the second part to that is you can write the best plan in the world. If no one, this is an issue I see with, when I travel around the country doing studies, you could have the best SOP, the best plan in the world. If you're the only one, if the chief or the training chief or the training deputy or some somebody in the command staff is the guy that wrote it is the only one that knows what the plan is and is is, is and he's not on that day, you don't have a plan. You have a hope. And we know that hopes are not plans, right? So I mean that's why we used to do, I mean, we created checklists. We would, we, we, our area, we were very fortunate. We had to do all kinds of drills. We had to do airport drills, millstone drills. You know, we had all these other requirements that we ended up getting engaged in and relationships in knowing actually where to drive the truck when the plane crashes. All those things are pretty important, right? But you only know that from, from trying it out from, and then in all of those scenarios, we found that that's a pretty, 
that's a pretty optimistic approach to this. I think we need more of this, or we really don't need all these, whatever it is, um, because it's actually confining us more than it's helping. We should stage some or bring them in, in in layers. And you can start sending resources back, but you can also relieve what you've been using. That's right. I mean, That's for, right. So, for so long. I, I thought that the, uh, you mentioned it earlier, the collapse there in, in uh, Miami-Dade. Uh, yeah. That was a good example of a group that had a plan for that, for, for dealing with that kind of thing in the state. They have an excellent plan. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, and and the and the and the public officials did not interfere with that plan because that's what I see sometimes. I see good, yeah. strong planning by emergency services personnel, including law enforcement. And then when the event happens, the elected officials and other yeah. officials aren't interested in the plan, and it really starts causing issues. I uh, but, but that, was, that was a good example of a case where, where, uh, where the, everybody played their role. Uh, yep. You know. I, and, and particularly when they were, when he got, you know, when you get to that 48 hours, 72 hours, families are starting to think, or they're starting to lose hope, and they want, they want everything faster or whatever it may be. And you've got these conflicting interests that are going on. For for elected official to stand behind the emergency responders and not poke and prod them is, is huge. Is huge as opposed to these gut these knee jerk reactions that you see in a lot of other places, right? Where they just don't listen. We this is what we plan on. This is what we train for. Let us do our job, and and watch. It'll you know it'll be okay. And they had to make a tough decision and knock that building down, but that was absolutely the right decision. Exactly. And, and, and you got to wait till the community is ready for you to declare the end of an event. Right. Uh, if, if you declare the end of that event and the community is not braced for that, it's not ready for that, uh, then it's hard for them to handle that final decision. Yes. Uh, I saw that in Oklahoma City. I've seen it everywhere I've ever been involved in a major incident, including at home. Sometimes you play it on out uh, and then work it on out. Uh, until the community is ready to accept. Yeah, facts. that's great. That's actually a wonderful point. Because we've done, we've done stuff where it's like, you know, there's nobody in there. I know there's nobody in there. You know, there's nobody in there. 75 people over there know there's nobody in there. But see that three people over there, they think whatever it is may still be in there. Well, um, you manage the risk accordingly too. You know, yeah, while yeah. You're going through that process, but, but. It, it, you know, until that community is ready for that decision, uh, you just can't make it. Uh, and, you, and you can tell when they're ready too. You know, you tease that, tease that ready. out a little. Tease that out a little bit, Chief. Wait, you you see there? How do you know that they're ready? By the by, the way they 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 talk, the things they say, the way they the expressions on their faces. Uh, the, the a lot of times, you know, that where the public officials are doing news uh, interviews and stuff, and they're, you know, we're not going to give up. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go. And uh, and then and that goes on for a week. It goes on for two weeks. But then finally, if you watch, those statements start to taper off. Yeah. You know, 
and the and the expressions get different and it's a, and and the look on their face is more one of grief yeah than it is hope and and i think that's just incredibly uh part of the art of making some of those decisions excellent point uh, i think you absolutely if you walk away from an incident when the community is not ready for it you better remember that there is a tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. And they, and they pay the bills. And they, they do everything. That's the, right. The way they feel about public safety, the way they feel about uh, each other sometimes. You know? Yeah. No, it's, it's hard. You know, it's hard. People, you know, just don't just get those guys out of there, you know? Right. Yeah, you just get those guys out of there. It, I think you saw how how the incident commander there at, uh, and the incident commanders there uh, at, at, in Miami managed that. It was very oh. well done. A good friend of mine was, help, he, he was with the state fire marshal's office and helped run that incident. He used to be the fire chief in Metro Dade. He also was the commander of the urban search and rescue team out of Metro Dade for years. Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't the short guy. Oh, what was his name? The short guy from, I can't remember the name. I'm sorry, I digress. Yeah, never, he, mind. <laughs> never mind. Let's go on. Let's move I'm on. To, huh? Go ahead. I'm trying to think of his name. Anyway. Hey, Nick, while, while you're thinking, I, can I ask a question of Chief Compton on, on the Pentagon? Chief, do you uh, remember who was the initial operating period incident commander by chance? Uh, the first one that I know of was Swartz. Uh, and he was what position from? He was the fire chief uh, or deputy chief. I don't remember which now. Yeah. Uh, in Arlington. Ah, bingo. So I, I use that in teaching ICS and especially to young fire officers because that, that's exactly right. And how I came upon that knowledge is I, I wrote a big paper on the Pentagon for one of my classes, and I went to that Arlington station and talked to that, that deputy chief, um, and he told me that he responded, and it was you know, obviously very, very chaotic. His chief showed up maybe an hour and a half into it, I think, no quote on the time frame. But he said, you're doing such a good job commanding. I'm going to support you and be logistics. And I use that so often to, to provide an example to people that just because you're the highest ranking officer, you don't need to take command. And, and your operation at the Pentagon um, proved that out. You know, it, 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 that was really something for that big of an incident that that chief took a step back and um, the deputy attributed what your comments are about organization and support uh, to the relationship that they had for that first operational period. Yeah. Thank you. Very capable people. Now, by the way, I, was, I didn't know you wanted his name, but his name's Dave Downey, the guy at Miami-Dade. Oh, yep. okay. No, yeah, I'm thinking about... Matter of fact, he was all over CNN like he always is, but he, he does a great job. You know, he's a tremendous guy. Well, you were you were part of, because I remember the presentation you did for us, you were part of 
the 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 uh, Phoenix concept of the of the uh, senior advisor, right? You know, we developed that. Uh, yeah, and and we we developed it uh, because of getting incident commanders overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed by communications, overwhelmed by a lot of the, by the hectic scene, overwhelmed by uh, having to deal with so many different people who want to talk to you. Uh, and, and, and so we were trying to manage communications, manage decision-making and manage support, which was just said. Uh, so we created and still used by the way, to this day. Huh. Listen, we, we brought it back here. Is we created a system that uh, doesn't change NIMS or anything else, but with you, the incident commander on a major event, uh, there's a superior to you that will take over the role of support officer. And there's a superior to that person who will take over the role of senior advisor. And we run a, a boundary drop in Phoenix, Mesa and all around Valley. So the, the, the one thing that we added to that after we put it together in the first place you know, is that we added a, a stipulation that the senior advisor needs to be from the city that's having the event. <laughs> No, that's that's a good point. Senior advisor is going to deal with elected officials, department heads, those kinds of things. Yep. Okay, but uh, so anyway, I said you wanted to go to New York City. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say. So I got to sit in the red bucket. I got to sit um, back when uh, you would you had the uh, they had the training center in the old firehouse mm -hmm. with the all the electronics and stuff and the and the mock up of the of the uh, command box. I got the I got to play battalion chief. Um, that was one of the side trips at one of the conferences, and that was crazy. But we brought that back here. Now we we don't have as many senior advisors, but we went to a team approach in, in our little piece of the world. I never stood by myself. I never stood with less than three or four other chiefs or bosses from different departments to make decisions because I'm I'm not the sharpest bulb in the box, and I can't remember any everything. And we just had that group. And, and by timing, it's kind of like Billy Goldfeder's thing. But by timing, the same guys ended up doing the same jobs. And everybody got really good at what they did. And so I felt very comfortable. And that, and that all came from that development that you guys did. Yeah, we, we got the, I remember the first time Bruno and I talked about it, we were on an airplane, in fact. And it, it just seemed like it mattered too much who was on duty. The, the, yes. quality, the quality of the incident commander mattered too much on who yes. was on duty. I, I may so have the, heard of that before. <laughs> so the better, the better we could support whoever it was, whether it was a superstar, whether it was a, a medium run of the mill, you know, the better we could support that person, the better job they're going to do. And, uh, and let's not let them get to the point where they have to be relieved. Yeah, yeah. And then, and the other thing you do is you put a lock on the door. <laughs> Another thing that I really like is you just can't walk in the bus. You you just can't walk in. You got to push a doorbell, and someone's gonna say hello, and you guys say, "Hey, it's it's Battalion Six or whatever." You just don't you just don't get in the box until it's it's time for you. Yeah. The other thing that was cool is that all the wiring, and we could talk a whole night on on that on, that <laughs> on any right. one so, subject, <laughs> huh? We could talk all night on any one subject. <laughs> let's get you on the train because I'm actually taking you over what I thought we were going to go. So let's get you on the. So tell us how you got from now that I've given it away. 
How did you get from the, the what happened to the Pentagon? All of a sudden, you go into the city. FEMA. Uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, I was asked to go to the World Trade Center, uh, and and so caught a train late at night on on. Uh, it was on Thursday. It was actually Friday morning, but it was late Thursday. You know, it was. I hadn't been to bed. I remember that. So, so, but I got to New York City early in the morning, and uh, so we began uh, kind of getting the people together who were coming from out of town to help with that. And I worked primarily there with the United States Fire Administrator, the FEMA Director, uh, and 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 what we ended up doing. And, and the superintendent of the National Park Academy. What we ended up doing is uh, is working on these uh, decentralized command stations around that event. There was about a 14, 16 acre event, something like that, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, you know how you set up lobby control on high rise where everybody passes through that, all the, Every that's where all the records are kept, and that's where right, right, right. Normally, right. Yeah. So, so we spent several days uh, working on that system and uh, putting somebody to evaluate the USAR teams when they were when they were ready to to uh, rotate out. Those types of things. Uh, my uh, my first day there. Uh, I went out to the pile, really, the, 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 and you know it was just terrible. I, I remember walking all the way around that event, and and unlike Oklahoma City and unlike the Pentagon, you just couldn't hardly hard get your head around this thing. There were so many moving parts to it, uh, and it had impacted so much of the infrastructure of of that city. Mm let alone the lives of so many people and so many people still trying to find out the status of their loved ones. The, the, the firefighters up on that pile, uh, you know, start searching bucket by bucket, trying to find some semblance of life. Uh, and even to be able to bring those who weren't alive out of there if possible. So, uh, so that's what I did most of the time that I was there. I was there for two weeks. Uh, we uh, we made a lot of progress with it. The FDNY, as you might imagine, was so tired. You know, they 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 worked incredible shifts, and uh, and the, the looks on their faces I'll never forget. The looks of the firefighters' faces that were on that rubble pile I'll never forget. Uh, and I lost several friends there, uh, yeah, Ray. as other people did. You know, the August 31st, uh, 2001, uh, I was at the IFC FRI conference in New Orleans. And uh, Pete Gancy, the fire chief there in uh, FDNY, was there. And... Uh, we had just gotten our accreditation at that meeting. We were accredited as a fire department. We were the largest fire department to be accredited. Uh, Houston came shortly after us, but, but at that time we were the largest. Uh, and this was Mesa. Uh, and 
Pete wanted to know what the process was. In other words, how did, what did we do to go through that? How hard was it? What did we have to, how, how much time did it take? So he and I went out to dinner that night, August 31st. And, uh, and of course he died when Tower Two came down on September 11th. Uh, and Ray Downey, and you know, I'm not gonna go into all that. Yeah. So many others uh, who, who simply lost their lives there. And uh, it was actually a thing on Facebook today that um, someone posted, I think it was the Getting Salty guys posted it, but there was a, a picture of him in between, a, a picture of him in between the towers falling. Mm -hmm. And uh, the quote, they wanted him to leave. And he, he, he moved the command post because the first one was destroyed to what he thought was a safe place. And they wanted him to leave and go to a safer place and let them take the 40 because I'm not leaving my men. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and obviously, and obviously he didn't. Uh, in you all of that. <laughs> Can you imagine what the would have been like for FDNY after that event was all over and for uh, NYPD if they had refused to go into those buildings? Can yeah. you imagine what life would have been like? Well, they're, well, I think the second part is they're not, I mean, I think I, think I know where you're going, but from a, from a, I'm, I'm going to look at it from a mental health perspective, you're, you're, you're a pit bull, you're programmed to go do this. You're not programmed to hold on. You're programmed as to go do it. And then even in the, the even in the uh, video, the French guys shot, you could tell by looking at the faces, there was nobody there that didn't, that was going to be surprised by the, a potential outcome here. No, right. And they no. still, and they still went, they, no one said, I'm not going, no one ran the, I mean, until the building started coming down, nobody was running the other way. The, uh, uh, so they were trying to get out down those stairwells eventually, but uh, right. I was at a Christmas party <clears throat> in December of 2001, and this guy was there. Uh, I did not know him, uh, but he was a good guy, and he and he uh, uh, he said to me that based on what had happened there in New York City, that, that the chances of you guys being able to find people who want to be firefighters yeah. uh, it's probably going to be difficult for you mm. uh, and i and i didn't i didn't say this to him but what i thought in my mind at the time was just how little he knew <laughs> about firefighters and police officers uh, but what i did say to him was this that, that the firefighters did not go into that building out of blind obedience to command they don't do anything out of blind obedience that I ever saw in my career. They did that because it was their duty to do that and because they swore to do that. They took an oath to do that. They believed in that. They were there to save people and they died saving people. There are estimates, you, you all probably know this, but there are estimates that between the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, that fire that the fire the firefighters there were there were there were firefighters saved about forty thousand people. Yeah, yeah. My baby, we, we I was I, I was at school last week and 
And, uh, and as you know, in the dorms, one of the stations you get is the USFA station. And, uh, and they had a bunch of, you know, 9-11 stuff that was a memory, 20th Memorial stuff that was running. And uh, yeah, no, that was, that was the numbers that on the potential there. The other thing, the other thing we shared that other people not may not realize is 20 years ago, we were together uh, uh, next month, we were together at the Memorial and, uh, and, and the October after, actually would be next year, I, I apologize. Uh, it, and the, um, at the Memorial, uh, President Bush came yeah. and, and he was, it was the Memorial after the, the, the collapse. No, that's right, that's 20 years, right. So, uh, and he was, you could, you could tell he was well-intentioned, but you, but you could tell he was distracted. And, uh, and so, and, and we jumped, we're gonna talk about it next month, or, and actually we're gonna talk about it in a couple of weeks. We had to go through, jump through hoops and make changes and because the, you know, because the president was coming with the Secret Service. Well, we got done at the, we got done with the memorial. We're all in having, having lunch and he wanted to attack Iraq. <laughs> so the, the, the first ship, the first bombers, it, it, we went to war uh, over 9-11. And uh, so everybody was like, and, and, and the, the, the joke at the table was, well, he was distracted. So we'll, we'll give him credit for the credit for the speech. You know, I don't know, no matter what anybody's politics are here on this uh, call, uh, uh, I, I work in, I've worked in Washington, D.C. for probably 25 years of my career, chaired the Congressional Fire Services Institute, been involved with it for many, many, many years, and have worked with a lot of people who are in elected office. Uh, and for us to be successful, we had to stay nonpartisan. In other words, we're, our group is, is, yeah. is uh, the leadership of our caucus, for instance, is, is four and four, four Democrats, four Republicans. We work with both parties. Uh, so no matter what your politics is here, uh, George Bush came to that thing that day and it was hot for yeah. some reason. It was very warm that day. And, and this, this man, we thought he was gonna come in. This is what was intended, in fact, come in, make his remarks and get out, leave. He didn't do that. He came in, he made his remarks and then he told us that he was gonna stay. And, and he greeted every family. He went out with the flag bearers and he personally greeted every family that came forward that day. Hugs, kisses. Uh, I remember it, that. It was I remember absolutely that. Absolutely amazing. The thing and I remember I, about that that particular weekend um, was he was he, he had his hands on the left. No, he he was looking at the teleprompters, and all of a sudden he looked over and he saw something, and it got him. I think it was a a a, a survivor with a baby. Anyway, it, it locked him up, remember this? And all of a sudden, he couldn't talk. And he grabbed onto the lectern and leaned in. And then he said that him and his wife were just so honored to be here and da 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 And he kind of just repeated him like three times. 
And then all of a sudden, it's like you could see him just rebooting. And then he took off. Remember that? And then he took off on the speech. Um, yeah, he did that. And then I'll tell you, uh, the last time President Obama was there, uh, he did exactly the same thing. Uh, so, so that to me was was uh, was quite a deal by both of those men. Yep, was that they paid that kind of tribute to uh, to those people who were mourning the loss of their loved ones, and, uh, and that that was a big deal. Yeah. And it, it, it uh, and then the following year when we had to do the memorial in washington dc do you remember that because i did not go to that that i actually stayed home yeah i I didn't want to i was new to the process and four different places and i i i didn't want to be involved in that well the numbers were so high the numbers were so high yeah 9 11 that that we had to do it in the uh in in a much larger building there in the city in dc so uh but but the you know, the Pentagon, uh, has taught us a lot, but I don't think it taught us as much as I wish it had. I'm talking about the World Trade Center. Yes. And the Pentagon and what happened in Shanksville with the plane that the yeah, let's go. Americans took down. Yeah. Let's roll. Right. Yeah. If you look at all of that, uh, and you think, you know, one of the things that you wish would have happened in all of this was unity. And I think it did happen for, for a period of time. Yep. I remember the Arizona Diamondbacks played in New York Yankees in the World Series a month later, a month yeah. and a half later. And it was a seven game series. Uh, and there was a lot of energy around that, you know, big deal, you know. Giuliani throwing out first pitches and the president and everybody, you know, and Arizona won, by the way, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> but, but the thing that uh, is interesting is that, is that we didn't learn unity out of 9-11. I think we, I, I agree with you. I think we had it for a while. Yeah. I think there, and I think we lasted about, I let me rephrase that. I'm not sure about how much, how long the unity lasted. I think the fire department support and appreciation lasted about 10 years. And then I think slowly wheels started wobbling a little bit. And I, I know several departments around here will have 9-11 memorials uh, on the 11th. And I can guarantee you the size of the crowd, including public safety people attending will 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 drop. Will, I'm speaking. I'm speaking at one Saturday morning. I'm doing the keynote at it, and uh, you know, I uh, I don't know, you know, if we had learned. First of all, if we understood terrorism and realized that terrorism is an attempt to change your culture and to to, uh, divide you against one another, usually in an attempt to take you over, okay? Right. And uh, 
And we know damn good and well that that's not going to be the last terrorist event that the fire service is going to get to deal with. You know, it wasn't and it won't be. Right. And it just seems to me that, uh, that, that I wish, it's impossible, but I wish Maxwell Smart would bring us all down in a dome <laughs> and get us to understand that the ones who tended to love one another and care for one another since 9-11 love each other more, it seems like, and care for each other more. Oh, no. Yeah. But, but the ones that hate and uh, it seemed to me just watching it that the hate has grown deeper. Uh, and what a dichotomy that is. So if anybody thinks we've recovered from 9-11, they're wrong because the lesson 9-11 should have taught us was unity because of what terrorism really is. The definition of terrorism is to divide it's society. It is. It's to divide us. It's to take away our norms, including our culture, and, and essentially in an effort to take us over. Uh, and I'm, I don't think we, we learned that. I, I really don't. And I, don't, I don't think it has anything to do with politics. I think it has everything in the world to do with people. And, well, the uh, human dynamic, the, listen, if we, if we could figure that stuff out, we wouldn't have been working as fire chiefs. <laughs> but it's an element of this because it's going to happen again. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's going to happen again. I, and I think... I, I see that also in the survivors. Again, when we see the survivors together, they have a sense of something that most people don't have. Or, or, or we're in a group, we're in a group of people that nobody wants to be, that I didn't ask to join this club. Uh, you know, we've lost people in the line of duty. And, you know, I never asked to be in that club, but my cohorts in that club, we just have a different view a different look at things. Uh, it, when when I was still, and I'm still nuts about this, but if, you know, I had a lot of 200, 200 plus year old buildings and I uh, had a lot of crummy cellars and yeah. but they were inhabited, but they were occupied. And, uh, and in our case, they were legal. But I was, after, after I, I did chief to chief with two chiefs who lost guys that fell in the basement, I was a maniac. Mm -hmm. I was a maniac about checking the cellar, whether it looked like it was there or not. Look I, at, if, 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 I'm sure a lot of you, if not all of you, have been to the memorial at, at Ground Zero. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful oh memorial. It is so well done and, it's, and pays such honor to the event, to all of the people who were impacted by it, uh, it is incredible. And if you haven't been, I encourage you to go. If you haven't been to the Oklahoma City Memorial, it's much different. Uh, but it too is about the people. It's about the people who were impacted by that event. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's a great experience. If you haven't been there, go. It'll really help you understand these different events. If you haven't been to the Pentagon, go and, and see what is there that, that is intended to remind us all of that day 
and remind us of what we lost that day, but what we should have learned that day and since. So, uh, so I would say that in, as, an, as an ending for me, uh, is, is let's revisit all of this 20 years later, but let's go back and pick up some pieces as a fire service and even beyond that. And we have the means and capability to do that. Uh, we have these tributes that we can go to and be reminded of it like it happened this morning. I, I, would, I would concur and, and I would, you know, a lot of high schools, a lot of middle schools, whatever, they go to the, the National or the Natural Science Museum, they go to this art museum, they go here, they go there. They ought to be going through the 9-11 because it truly, I, they, they showed, I tell you, my son, we were with, uh, who, I had someone young with me and I can't remember who it was. No, we were there with the Chiefs. The career Chiefs went down uh, for the day. But anyway, there's a young kid and he went and touched one of the exhibits out on the foyer there and three folks from the volunteers from the museum immediately almost grabbed him and threw him out a window. They immediately responded and said, do not touch, you don't understand. And of course the kid, they knew the kid didn't understand. They were more glaring at the parents for the parents not interceding, but they did a, just a tremendous uh, thoughtful touching. And again, it's one of those things you just, you just walk through it and you just, how'd they find this stuff? And look at the people who we've lost since. Yeah. Every who were, week, who were who were at those events, who worked those events, and uh, and are dying as a result of their work, their service of those events, uh, and and uh, the tragedy of nine eleven isn't even almost over. No, there's good every as you know that everybody else may not know. We'll probably talk about this in a couple of weeks, but so many people so many firefighters from New York have died of 9-11 uh, illness uh, that at the, at the memorial, we actually have a plaque and, or plaques now because they continue, they, it, the number continues to grow. And every year at the memorial, we have anywhere from 10 to 15 to 25 uh, firefighters who, who died from 9-11 illness uh, that are memorialized, and the and the and the problem is, the problem is it's 20 years ago. So if, as opposed to the 343 that were recognized right after, so now we have someone who's been out for 15, who's been retired, medically disabled, medically retired for 12 years, maybe if they're lucky, maybe only five. And so the New York group does a good job of supporting. Uh, the um, cell, the unit does a good job of getting them down there, but we don't have the we don't have the numbers. A lot of times the, the families don't even come, and they end up with just someone from from the office, from the, the memorial group, ending up representing them because it's they they just want to be done. They, yeah, it's, it's painful. Very, it's very painful. Mm -hmm. It's very painful, and they just want to. And you know the. If you look at the good that has come out, uh, some of the good that's come out of all of that is that a lot of the research that's been done on the 9-11 uh, 
especially the World Trade Center workers, firefighters, police officers, EMS personnel, uh, you know, the, the, all of the ones that work there uh, has really been beneficial in some of the cancer related, yep. occupational cancer related issues we're dealing with now with firefighters. So, uh, so it's helped with that. Uh, but uh, they, Some friends of mine, um, one of whom is gonna be here in a couple of months, uh, the Getting Salty guys, uh, they did a great show with the medical unit from the FDNY on the exposures and what they found. So I would, I would recommend anybody YouTube that, the Getting Salty group, and then do the, the exposure. Uh, they, they broke it down. And if you can get anyone to clean their gear in New York City, you're doing a good job, uh, you know, as they did that. Chief, anything else you want to add? I, I truly appreciate your time. No, I just thank you very much, Nick, for having me. Uh, Janie, too, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's been nice to be with all of you. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great to revisit all of this because uh, uh, we shouldn't, we say never forget, but uh, we should never forget. I mean, the public will be all worked up now for the next five days or they'll they'll if they turn if they turn on to the right tv stations because we're probably not going to be prime time this year or whatever right so they'll end up getting it so uh chief thank you so much for coming on yeah. uh, you your career has been tremendous and just some of the insights you gave us tonight about playing well with others in their sandbox not that we ever have a problem with that um and some of that other <laughs> stuff we i really do appreciate it